Welcome to Sidebar, a new feature of Sequestered the Podcast, where I give you a quick analysis of the court decisions making headlines. These mini episodes don't run the full length of our usual episodes, but we'll still give you the information you want to know. With the Derek Chauvin trial underway, I'm being asked a lot of questions about another case coming out of Minnesota. Recently, the Supreme Court decision in State versus Khalil was issued, and the Supreme Court held that a rapist cannot be convicted of third-degree sexual conduct, which is felony-level rape, if the victim was voluntarily intoxicated. Now, having read the decision, I want to be absolutely clear that this opinion does not stand for the proposition that a drunk person cannot be raped. And it does not stand for the proposition that consent is assumed if you voluntarily intoxicate yourself. The decision stands only for the proposition that if someone has been voluntarily intoxicated, they cannot be charged. They cannot be the victim of a third degree rape. So what does all of that mean? Well, let's look at the facts. In May of 2017, the victim in the case, who's identified as J.S., consumed five shots of vodka and then took a prescription narcotic before going out for the night with a friend. She went to a bar in Dinkytown, the neighborhood around the University of Minnesota, but was turned away because she was too intoxicated when the bouncers encountered her. At that point, she was approached by the defendant, Francois Khalil, and two of his friends, who told the girls, or the women, that they knew of a house party nearby. The women went with them, but when they arrived at the home, they were all alone. The victim's friend told the jury that as soon as they arrived, J.S., the victim, went and laid on the couch and immediately passed out. When she awoke a few hours later, J.S. told the jury that Khalil was on top of her and was raping her. His penis was inside of her vagina. She told him no, that she did not want to have sex with him, and he responded that she was so hot and turning him on that he could not help himself. She lost consciousness again and woke up several hours later with her shorts around her ankles. She got her friend from another room, and then they left. She reported the rape later that day. Khalil was arrested and charged with one count of third-degree sexual conduct involving a mentally incapacitated or physically helpless complainant. Prosecutors declined to charge him with fifth-degree criminal sexual conduct, which was a a gross misdemeanor. And that statute is sort of the catch-all that will criminalize any non-consensual sexual contact that is not covered by a higher degree. In his appeal, Khalil actually conceded that the fifth degree sexual conduct, criminal sexual conduct would have been a more appropriate charge. At trial, the jury was instructed that Minnesota law defines a rape victim as, quote, mentally incapacitated if the victim, quote, lacks the judgment to give reason to consent to sexual penetration due to the influence of alcohol, a narcotic, or any other substance administered without her agreement. The definition confused the jury who asked for clarification from the court. They wanted to know if the the alcohol or the narcotic had to be administered without the victim's agreement. Over Khalil's objection, the jury was told by the judge that you can be mentally incapacitated following the consumption of alcohol or narcotics that you administer to yourself. So what's the problem then? Well, The judge's clarification and definition did not correctly state Minnesota statutes defining mental incapacity. Under Minnesota law, any substance rendering someone so incapacitated that they lack the ability to form reasoned consent to sexual conduct, the substance must have been administered without that person's agreement. Now, here's where the Supreme Court was forced into the impossible position. It is the role of the court to interpret the law as written by the legislature, not to make new or different law. 
This case is a painful reminder that our courts are called courts of law and not courts of justice for a reason. Use of the Oxford comma is a hill I will die on, but in this case, the placement of another type of comma was the undoing. This case came down to the placement of the word administered and the placement of a comma immediately before it. When a statute has a plain language meaning like that of the statute defining mental incapacity as that which can only be achieved by someone becoming drunk or high without their knowledge, the court is simply backed into a corner. Because of where the comma is placed in the statute listing the intoxicants that can be considered to have rendered someone totally unable to consent, and because it is placed before the administered, the clause saying administered without that person's agreement, The court ruled that the plain language of the statute required all of the listed intoxicants, including alcohol and narcotics, must be administered without the victim's consent, per the legislative intent. And because J.S. got herself drunk, third-degree criminal sexual conduct was not the proper charge. The court vacated Khalil's conviction and sent the case back to the trial court for a new trial, which is required any time there is an error in jury instruction. So what now? Well, anyone who reads the opinion itself will immediately notice one thing. The Supreme Court is disgusted by this outcome. This case is both a reminder that they are limited in the Constitution to interpreting the law created by the legislature, and it is also a call to action. It is a call to action to all Minnesotans, everyone who knows Minnesotans, anyone who can find Minnesota on a map, and perhaps anyone who has simply heard of Minnesota, to campaign state lawmakers, senators, and representatives to change this law. Letters, calls, emails, rallies, anything that will get them to listen and to act. On the first full page of the opinion, the court points out, and I'm going to read directly from the opinion here, Nearly half of all women in the United States have been the victim of sexual violence in their lifetime, including an estimated 10 million women who have been raped while under the influence of alcohol or drugs. With this level of sexual violence, legislatures across the country have enacted statutes aimed at prioritizing consent and protecting intoxicated victims of rape and sexual assault, regardless of how that victim became intoxicated. These statutory definitions protect intoxicated victims of rape, regardless of who got them intoxicated. And today, we must undertake the task of interpreting the definition of mentally incapacitated that the Minnesota legislature enacted in MnSTAT 609.341. Those of you who know me personally know how much of my very real caseload as a lawyer is is about representing victims of sexual abuse and assault. It is a very real public health crisis that has affected each and every person listening to this podcast, either personally or by extension to someone that they love. Ask any woman you know if she knows anyone who has been sexually assaulted, and we can each name at least a dozen other women after we name ourselves. Men suffer the effects of sexual violence at almost the same rate, but more often force themselves to live in silence because of cultural norms and shame. And of course, I do not have to tell you that members of the LGBTQ plus community are victims of sexual violence at a rate almost twice as high as straight women. The effects and damages of this abuse, mental health issues that require long-term and expensive treatment, joblessness, challenges completing schools which then lead to low-wage jobs, abusive relationships, 
and a whole new generation of vulnerable victims who are not protected because their parents are experiencing the crises of their own sexual trauma. This all costs taxpayers a lot of money, but the human cost is far greater. So call your representatives and your senators and tell them how much you oppose this shameful law. If you don't live in Minnesota, find out what your state's protections are for victims of sexual violence and change what you don't like. You don't have to start from scratch either. There are organizations like RAIN and SNAP and the Coalition Against Sexual Assault that already have an infrastructure set up for change, but they need the manpower. You can make a difference far greater than you might think by just using your voice. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next time with our regular programming unless something else stupid happens in the meantime. Until then, be well.